What is up, West Village family? How's it going? Chris here. Uh, welcome to all of you who are watching uh, our online gathering. Maybe you're new joining us. Want to extend a big welcome to you. As I've already said, my name's Chris, one of the leaders here. Love, love, love being a part of uh, this church family. Love, love, love that I get to teach and preach the Bible. Uh, and just really quick before we jump in, I want to give a huge shout out to our church. I mean, this has been a crazy year, has it not? There have been so many ups and downs. There have been pivots and punches and all, all kinds of stuff. You know, there's an endless amount of uh, expressions to describe the year that we have gone through. And I just want to say as a church family, um, yeah, way to go church. We have had a crazy year to be sure, but Jesus has been faithful to us. He's been good to us. Uh, he's been doing so much stuff. We've had new people showing up when we were able to meet. We've got new people watching online. Our church family has been growing in terms of depth of relationship with one another. We've seen people come to faith in Jesus. Uh, we've multiplied community groups. We've been able to love and serve the least of these through all kinds of means. We've been able to collect offerings for our COVID relief fund. We've filled and emptied the freezer at the church office for families in need countless times over. Uh, and I just want to say way to go. Way to go, church. Uh, it has been a great year. Even financially, it's been a great year. You would think global pandemic, it would be horrible, but it's been a great year. We're way ahead uh, budget over the course of the year. The last three or four months have been a little bit slow, so continue to give. Uh, but for the course of the year, we're way ahead on our budget. We've actually never been in a, a healthier position financially. And all that to say, way to go, church. All that to say, way to go, Jesus. We are excited for what he has in store for us. I do believe the best is yet to come. I know that I'm supposed to say stuff like that, and that's super cliche, uh, but I actually believe it. I actually believe that Jesus is doing a unique work in our church, in our city, in our, in our world, for that matter, and in this season. And I'm excited. I'm excited to be on this journey with you. So... Anyway, we are going to continue our Advent series. If you have a Bible, grab it, open it up to Matthew chapter one. That should give a little PTSD for some of you who've been hanging around for a while because we have been going through the gospel of Matthew, but we're taking a little break to go through a four-week series on Advent leading up to Christmas called A Glorious Disruption. Uh, and Advent for the church is really uh, this, this time of anticipation. It literally means like the anticipation or the arrival. Uh, I learned this week from my daughter that, uh, that even non-Christian Christians celebrate uh, Advent. There's a, an Advent celebration, which I should have known because there were those chocolate calendars that you used to bring home when you were kids. I don't know if they still do that. My kids are past this uh, stage, but you know, you bring home the thing and you open the window and you get the little chocolate. It kind of left me wondering like, what are the non-Christian people adventing for? What are they waiting for? Like for us, it's like the birth of Jesus, right? For, is, for them, is it like credit card debt or uh, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, a dinner with your family. Like, is that the, the hype <laughs> anyway for the church? Advent is about waiting for Jesus. It's about the anticipation of the arrival of Jesus. And so what we've been doing is going through a series of stories uh, leading up to the birth of Jesus, where there's interruptions. Last week, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth. Today, we're going to look at uh, a little bit of Mary uh, and a lot of Joseph. And we're going to see another disruptive event leading up to the birth of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter one, all the way back to the beginning, folks. But don't worry, when this is over, we're going to get back to where we were in Matthew's gospel. It's all good. So Matthew chapter one, picking up in verse 18, this is what Matthew records. Now he, remember, he's, he's setting the scene for the birth of Jesus. So he's kind of laying, giving us the lay of the land. Here's what he says in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, 
came about. Okay, so let's stop there for just a second because what Matthew is doing here is he's he's giving us the foundation to what I think is the most important question that has ever been asked in all of human history, which is who is Jesus? Like, who is he? Matthew's gonna lay out for us the origin story of Jesus. In other words, where Jesus came from, but ultimately underneath that, Matthew's asking and answering an even more fundamental human question, which is who is Jesus? Uh, when you look at the person work of Jesus, there's a multitude of different answers to who he is. I mean, many would say he's a moral teacher. Many would say he's a religious leader. Uh, He's a philosopher. But the Christian story tells a different story about who Jesus is. Christians believe and have believed for as long as Christianity has been around that Jesus is actually God in the flesh. That yes, there is a person who uh, was named Jesus, who lived, who walked the earth, but he was not just a person. He was actually God in the flesh. He was God with skin on. Uh, This is like, you know, hyper theological nerd nomenclature here, but the the technical uh, phrase is, the hypostatic union, that within Jesus, we see both a a being, a a person who is 100% uh, human, but also 100% God, that he wasn't half and half. He wasn't uh, God who then was not God when he came to earth and he's God only when he's up in heaven, but that he's 100% man and 100% God. And what, what Matthew is doing for us here is he's kind of holding Jesus up and setting him apart from every other human being who has ever lived saying he's different. This one is different. You need to pay attention to this one. Who is Jesus? This, I will just say this to you, friends. Uh, if you're new to following Jesus, if you're new to church, if you're kind of just on a journey, spiritual journey, checking, uh, you know, checking things out, I will say this. This is the most important question that you will ever ask and come up with an answer for in your entire life. I have four children and they're starting to get older. I'm older. I used to have hair and be skinny now and bald and fat. And my kids are all taller than me and bigger than me and stronger than me. And not quite smarter than me yet, but, but they're getting there. And I say to them all the time, this is the question. This is the question you must answer with your life. Yes, what are you going to do when you grow up? Yes, who are you going to marry? But this is the most important question that you will ever answer. And it's the most important question you'll ever answer. In fact, Larry King, who many of you know who Larry King is, he, he's interviewed a lot of different people, uh, you know, famous talk show host on CNN, has basically interviewed the who's who, uh, who's who of humanity was asked one time, if you could interview anybody and ask them anything, who would you interview and what would you ask? And Larry King said, without even pausing, said, I would interview Jesus of Nazareth. And the question that I would ask him is, were you truly born of a virgin? And then listen to what he said next. He gets it. Larry King gets it. He gets it right here. He gets it wrong a lot of times, but he gets it right here. He says, the answer to that question will define human history for me. What? What's he saying? (laughs) He's saying the same thing Matthew's saying. Who would have thought? Larry King, right? The answer to that question is the most important question that you could ever ask. It's the most important question any human being could ever ask. Who is Jesus? And so Matthew's saying, I'm going to make a case here for why Jesus is not just a religious teacher. Jesus is not just a nice idea among the marketplace of ideas. Jesus is not just a moral philosopher, but Jesus Christ is actually God with skin on. He's, he's a bigger deal than just uh, any other religious leader who's ever lived. So look at what he says next, Matthew chapter one, keep going along here. He says that This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Okay, so let's stop there. Everybody knows the story, right? There's baby Jesus and there's mother Mary. This is mother Mary. Now, mother Mary at this point in her life would have been 
roughly 14, 15 years old. She would have been like slightly older than a, your classic middle school aged girl. And at this point, she was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, what this means is functionally, this was enga- like our, our equivalent of engagement, but it was more than just engagement. This was like, you know, not just I like Joseph, not just I want to marry Joseph, but this was like, I am deeply invested in marrying Joseph. In a first century context, in order to end off, uh, to sorry, to end this type of engagement, like the, they would have called this a betrothal you would actually have to get legally divorced. So it's kind of a big deal, right? Like this is way different than the way we do dating and engagement. This was very, very serious. But but what I want you to see here is that Mary kind of has her life figured out at this point. I know she's young, right? The the bar of expectation for uh, for for our kids apparently is too high. But she's fourteen. She's already got her life figured out. She's got her she's got her husband picked out. She's got the house picked out. She knows how many kids she wants. She's got the decor for the house. She knows what kind of camel she wants to drive when she has a family. You know, two door camel, four four door camel. Just kidding. Um, but but here's what I want you to see. Mary's got like a trajectory to her life. She's going somewhere. She's got her eye on something. Okay, she's got a plan. She's, she's moving. She's getting get married. She's going to start a family. This is what she's going to do. And then look at what happens next. But before they came together, so before she actually gets married, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So before she gets married, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's going to throw a bit of a monkey wrench in the plans, isn't it? All of a sudden, here you are, married, got your life figured out, planned out, sorted out, described, you know, you got everything going just the way you want it to go. And what happens? You discover you're pregnant with the Holy Spirit. You're pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Your life is just completely undone. What happens here? Mary's life is completely interrupted. She's completely interrupted. Her plan's undone. Her, her ideas done. Who she's going to marry, done. It's all done. Her life has completely changed directions in a moment. But here's what I want you to see. This is really important, friends. God chose Mary. Now, we're going to spend some time talking about that in the coming weeks. But God, make no mistake about it, chose Mary. And this is how God works. He, He chooses people that he wants to use for his divinely appointed tasks. And this is not unique to Mary. This is not unique to some, you know, uh, religious uh, clergy, uh, you know, elevated status sort of thing. This is how God has always worked. If you, if you just go through the pages of the New Testament, uh, this is what we see. We see Jesus choosing disciples, right? We see uh, God calling uh, Paul, choosing Paul on the road to Damascus. You go back even further into the Old Testament, you see God choosing Adam in the garden, choosing Abraham, choosing Noah, choosing the nation of Israel, choosing the prophets, choosing the judges, choosing the kings. This is what God has always done. He always chooses. He's the first mover in our salvation, but he always moves in such a way as to set us apart for a task. He interrupts our lives. You see, Mary had her life figured out. She had a plan. She had spreadsheets. She had it all figured out. The date was picked for the wedding. The invitations had gone out. Everything was going the way she wanted it to go. And then what happens? Breaks, hit, stop. God interrupts. 
I don't know what, you, <laughs> or what your life is like, but th- this describes my life to a T. God has interrupted my life so many times. I remember uh, as a 16-year-old, for the first time, I walked into a church. I got invited there by a buddy of mine who's not a Christian. We walk in. I can remember the day as clear as anything, and it was a long time ago, 25 plus years ago. We walk into this gymnasium door in a church that was in my neighborhood that I'd walked past a thousand times, but I had never seen before. We walk in and the gym's full of kids playing basketball. And I go there and we start playing basketball. The kids, a few weeks later, hear the gospel for the first time. Boom, interruption. I'd never heard of Jesus. I'd never heard the gospel. I'd never knew there was a God out there who loved me, who, who had a plan for my life, who wanted to know me, who died for my sins. I knew none of this. And I hear the gospel and my life is radically changed and transformed. He interrupted. I had a plan. I was going somewhere. Well, I didn't really have a plan. My plan was to sleep till the crack of dinner and eat potato chips. But nonetheless, Jesus interrupts my life, changes it completely at the age of 16. Fast forward a couple of years. I'm now 19, 20 still no idea what I want to do, still eating potato chips, still sleeping to the crack of dinner. At this point though, I've been following Jesus for a couple of years, but starting to get to this place where I was like, I don't know, following Jesus doesn't seem like it's all that it's cracked up to be. I think I want to go do some other things. I get dragged kicking and screaming to a chapel event, church kind of service, if you will. Don't want to be there, not interested, not paying attention. If I had, if cell phones existed back then, yes, this was before cell phones. But as I have to remind my children all the time, there was color television, okay? It wasn't black and white TV. It was kind of that in-between stage. So it was color TV, no cell phones. So no cell phone, but I'm doing whatever I can. Facebook in my mind, right? Social media in my mind. This is when children were able to imagine things. Okay, so I'm just, I'm not there. I'm on another, I'm in another world, imagining I'm somewhere else, not paying attention to what's going on. Guy gets up, preaches the gospel, calls the room to repentance. I don't want to be there. I'm not even listening, what happens? God interrupts. He comes down and, and I remember this day so vividly. He, he actually did an altar call, old school altar call. Here I am too cool for school, not interested in Jesus and I can't not get up. I have to get up, walk to the front. I'm there at the front of the room on my face, snot, uh, just snot face crying, just snot, tears, like just every orifice, something's coming out of it. Because I was convicted by the Holy Spirit and God interrupted my life. You're going to follow me. You're going to give your life to me. I had no choice. Even just a few years later, 12 years later, or 12 years ago, rather, I'm at a conference. Guy gets up and speaks, preaches the gospel, calls the room to go plant churches, and boom, God interrupts. Says, You're going to plant a church. I went from being a youth pastor to planting a church. Here I am preaching to a video camera in an empty room to a bunch of people I otherwise wouldn't have known. But by the grace of God, he interrupted my life. He moved in such a powerful way as to fundamentally change the direction that I was heading. That's what he does with Mary. Friends, that's what he does with us. That's what he does with you. There's this idea, uh, there's this idea in the church that, that God is like our butler, right? Like he's there to serve us. He's there to, to, to serve our needs, to meet our needs, to, to, to get what we want, what we need. It's not how the gospel works. It's not how Jesus works. Jesus actually says, no, 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 no. I'm not here to serve you. You're here to serve me. 
We don't add Jesus to our already awesome lives. Jesus comes in and he changes and he transforms us and he moves in such a way that he completely upends our lives. When you think of the moment that we find ourselves in, right? 2020, this is kind of one of the themes that we want to draw out in this teaching series. But 2020 has been a massive interruption. Right? This has been like a game changer. This is the kind of thing you're going to hear about in history books. They're going to write about, you know, and, and we got to live through it. But when you look at the effects, the fruit of this global pandemic on the church, and you start to just take a look at the statistics within evangelicalism across the Western church, it's, it's not great. I mean, at first when this all happened, everybody was, you know, sort of this is amazing. Best thing that could have ever happened to the church. We're going to go online Easter, right? A few weeks after it all happened, more people heard the gospel than ever, but like six minutes into online church, it kind of got, it was cute for a while, but six minutes later, it's like, yeah, not, not that into it anymore. And now when you look across the, the landscape of the church in the West, it's bleak. I, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but numbers, many churches are going to end up closing their doors as a result of this. Viewing numbers, like online church, whatever that means, like down, giving down, less people meeting Jesus, less people getting baptized. Churches aren't growing. Why is this? What's going on? Pandemic hits, world goes completely on pause. But for a lot of Christians, for a lot of followers of Jesus, So did their faith. It was like, yeah, I could take it or leave it. See, something interesting happened when this global pandemic hit, right? You had to really want it to be a part of it. You had to really put yourself out there Seek out Jesus, seek out community, seek out his church. I mean, trust me, we're doing everything we can. We're bending over backwards. We're calling, we're emailing, we're putting out things. We're trying to get people as connected as we can. But the bottom line is this, what do you want? And I'm not trying to be unsympathetic here. And I want to be really careful. I'm certainly not making any political statements, okay? So don't accuse me of that. You can email me at... Uh, Matt Parker at westvillagechurch.com if you don't like anything I'm about to say. But in all sincerity, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic, but just think about this with me for a second. And I'm not cracking on the government, okay? I'm not. But we will go to Costco. We will go to work. We will go to school. We will go to restaurants. We will go to all sorts of places with people. I see the pictures on social media. but what about a meaningful relationship with followers of Jesus, which is the church? I'm not talking about a Sunday event, right? I'm not talking about even necessarily being in the same physical space or breaking provincial health orders. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just asking the question. For us, is following Jesus a take it or leave it venture? See, because for Mary, this was a massive interruption. This completely disrupted, disoriented her entire life. It upended it. God chose her. He spoke to her. He called her and everything was different. 
I actually think one of the things that Jesus is doing in this moment in the church is he's actually separating the wheat from the chaff. Who is serious? Who does want it? Who does want to be in community? Who does want to be on my mission? Who does want to serve the church? Who does want to sustain the mission? Who does want to continue to fund church plants and send out more laborers to the, to the harvest field? Because when Jesus calls us friends, he, he doesn't call us to add him to our already awesome life. He calls us to radical transformation. There's an interruption that takes place where we don't, we don't ask Jesus to serve us, but friends, we serve him. We serve him. So Mary has this interruption, but let's see how Joseph responds. Check out Matthew chapter one, picking up in uh, verse 19, because Joseph, her husband was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her uh, to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, okay? So Mary comes to Joseph and just think about this, right? They have a conversation. Think about this conversation with me. So you're, pretend you're Joseph. Try and put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second. You're engaged to be married to, to Mary. Mary comes to you and she says, hey, um, hey, hey Joseph, uh, I got some news. Like we need, we need to talk. And when, you're, when your significant other tells you you need to talk, you're like, okay, this isn't going to be good. Nobody ever needs to talk, right? Like I never need to talk to my wife. Whenever she needs to talk to me, it ain't going well. She's probably laughing as she's watching this uh, right now because she's like, who are you kidding, man? You always need to talk. You're so high maintenance. It's true. I'm pretty high maintenance. I do need to talk a lot, but it's never good when someone needs to talk, right? So Mary, Joseph, they sit down. She's like, well, Joe, I got to let you know a couple things before we go forward with the nuptials. I'm actually pregnant. <laughs> what? You're pregnant. No, 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 no. It's, it's okay, Joe. It's okay. It's okay. I didn't have an affair. I didn't cheat on you. It was God who did it. God got me pregnant. Have you, if you're Joseph, you're like, this is crazy. So it stands to reason here that Joseph would actually consider divorcing her. Now, you see here in Joseph, actually, there's a little bit of uh, moral character, like some uprightness to him because he wants to do it privately so as to not cause her disgrace because it would have been a functional divorce. And so to functionally divorce her would have caused her much disgrace. So, so that makes some sense, right? It makes sense on paper that Joseph would go ahead and do this. But look at what happens next because in verse 20, Joseph's going to have an encounter with an angel. So he has, this, he has this encounter with Mary. Now he leaves to go, you know, to go think about what, uh, what's all transpired. And an angel appears to him, similar to last week with Zechariah. An angel appears to Joseph. And look at what the angel says to Joseph. Because what the angel is going to do here is he's going to allow us to peer into the heart of Joseph. Look at what he says in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, look at what he says. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph goes away. He thinks about it. He's like, ah, I can't do this. You know, she's like crazy. <laughs> so I can't, you know, you can't change crazy. So I'm not going to marry crazy. And then this angel appears and says, no, 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 you don't understand, Joseph. This isn't about your reputation. This isn't about your plan. 
This isn't about whether Mary's crazy or not. This is coming down to one thing and one thing only. It's coming down to fear. At the very core of the reason, and you know, like I'm not here to cast aspersions upon Joseph because I'm fairly sympathetic to his plight here. I would be concerned. I would be scared. But it's fear. See, six seconds prior to verse 19 to Mary coming and saying, hey, Joe, we need to have a little chit-chat here. Everything was good. God was good. The plan was good. I was going forward with it. Six seconds later, what happens? I'm not interested anymore. And the angel says that's because of fear. Now, again, bring this into the now, 2020. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Just think about what's happened in 2020. I think what we have gone through this year has exposed some deep existential, existential crises, crises within the, the, the globe, within, within humanity. Because just a, a few months ago, almost a year now, believe it or not, we've been doing this for about a year, but pre-COVID, everything was good, right? Things were good. God is good. Life is good. Marriage is good. Job, good. Uh, you know, financial portfolio, Good, 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 good. For the most part, with I'm sure there's exceptions, right? But if you compare pre-COVID to now, we were like, we were balling, right? Like it was awesome. We'll take that any day of the week. Whatever trouble you had pre-COVID, you're willing to take right now. COVID hits, what happens? Not so good. The world's falling apart. People are losing their minds. Christians are losing their minds. The sky is falling. What is going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to Western civilization? Like everything is coming undone. I, if I go out and I look somebody in the eye, I'm going to catch the COVIDs. Like it's, it's like everything is different now. Everything is different. In a short period of time, everything has changed. Everything we thought that we could put our hope and our trust and our faith in, gone. All the systems, the economic systems, the, the global systems, the health systems, everything that we thought we could trust in was a false sense of security. It's gone. It's gone. We're on our own, folks. What's changed? Before, God was good. Now, not so good. Before, the world made sense. We could figure it out. Now, not so much. What's the difference? It's fear. Our world is scared. We're scared of dying. We're scared of getting sick. We watch the news or the social media feed. We watch numbers. We watch government restrictions. We watch financial portfolios. And believe me, I get all those things. But we're terrified. Our own mortality is being laid bare. But do you know what's at the core of this? The very essence of what's taking place in our world right now is we are realizing how frail we are and how little control we actually have. Pre-COVID, we thought we had a lot of control. Now, we realized it was all a facade. The very core of what our world is experiencing right now is fear. 
And the fear is rooted in us not being able to control our need to be in control. And that is rooted in us not being able to trust God. See what's happening right now. Yes, we're afraid. Yes, we want to be in control. But even deeper than fear and deeper than our need to be in control is this, the very core of who we are. There's a worship problem. There's a worship problem in the church. There's certainly a worship problem in the world. And that is we do not believe that God is good. How could God possibly be good if all this is happening right now? See, what's happening is we are looking at the circumstances. We're looking at what's taking place around us. And here's what we're doing. We're saying to God, see, I knew I couldn't trust you. I knew I couldn't trust you. We want control. We have no control, so we're scared. But at the deepest level, what Jesus is asking us to do is put our faith and trust in him. Now look at what the angel says next. Look at verse 21, because he's going to speak hope into this problem. Verse 21, he says this. So he says, Joseph, son of David, we'll go back to verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now verse 21, okay, this is the hope. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Literally means the Lord saves. That's what the name Jesus means because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, what this angel is telling Joseph is, hey, hey, Joseph, you can trust God. You can trust God because the work that he's doing in Mary right now is a good work. It's a good work that's going to actually produce in her this birth of this son who is going to be the one who's going to come and rescue and redeem and save God's people. He's going to rescue all of God's people. All of the sin of the world is going to be taken on the shoulders of Jesus. All of the brokenness of the world is going to be taken on the shoulders of Jesus. When he goes to the cross, he is going to be the fulfillment of all that was promised to the nation of Israel, all that was promised to the world. He is going to be the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis chapter three, that one would come who would undo all the brokenness in the world. And and what this angel is saying to Joseph is you're going to have the joy and the privilege of raising this son, this son who's going to come in and save. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared because Jesus is going to come and he's going to undo the brokenness. You can trust him. He's in control. He is good. He has a plan. Yes, it's a different plan than your plan. Yes, he, he's organized your life differently than you would organize your life. But friends, if God is the God of the universe, the one who spoke the cosmos into existence, the one who sees the beginning from the end, he is the alpha and the omega. Is it not possible that he can actually see more than you can see? That yes, we look out at what we're experiencing right now, the the hopelessness in our world, the hopelessness in our own life. We can't see what God is doing, but is it not possible that he's actually doing a work that you and I are not even aware of right now? There's this beautiful truth that is etched into the very nature and character of who God is. That he makes beauty out of the ashes. He takes ash, he takes 
things that are dead and he renews them. He redeems them. He restores them. We see this all through the pages of the scripture. Genesis chapter one, God starts by by speaking life into the chaos, into the nothingness, into the void. He speaks and the cosmos is created. The world is, is created. He speaks order into the chaos. Uh, we see with the, the nation of Israel that who, who despite their rebellion, despite their waywardness, God in his faithfulness uses them to move along redemptive history. He remains faithful to his covenant promises to them, regardless of whether they remain faithful to him or not. And what we see when we look at verse 21 is that there's a son who was promised who will come. And we are told that the very reason that this son is going to come is because he will save people from their sins. Now think about this with me for a second. Think about Jesus saving his people. If you were going to paint a picture of of a God who was going to say, pretend you didn't know how the story ends, right? Pretend you didn't know the story of Jesus, but you were going to paint a picture of how this Jesus was going to come and save his people. He's going to come and, and, and defeat evil. What picture would you paint, right? It'd be this picture of, of a, a, like a militant army marching in. A few weeks ago, my family, we watched... Um, we watch Gladiator. And if you've seen the movie Gladiator, you know the opening scene, uh, the Roman Empire like squares off to do battle against, I believe it's G- Germania. And they have this, this epic battle, but the Romans literally walk over uh, their opponents, literally lopping off heads, taking arms, slicing throats. Like it's just, it, it, was, it was an unfair match. And you think that's how Jesus is going to do it. That's how he's going to defeat evil. That's how he's going to defeat Satan and sin and death and hell. That's how he's going to do it. He's going to do it victoriously. He's going to march in victoriously and, and defeat these things. That's not how he does it. How does he do it? He goes to the cross. He saves his people by going to the cross. It's Jesus's broken, bloody, naked body hung from a cross. And if you didn't know how the story ended in verse 21, or when you read verse 21, sorry, and then you saw Jesus hanging on the cross, you read verse 21, you see the broken, bloody, naked body of Jesus hanging on the cross. And what are you going to think? He failed. He failed. My friends, did he fail? No, he didn't fail. Of course he didn't fail. He's buried in the tomb and three days later, what happens? Jesus is resurrected from the grave. He, 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 he comes back to life. Death is defeated. Sin is defeated. Evil is defeated. Satan is defeated. And the whole time, even though it looked like God was completely out of control, he had, he had lost control, he had failed, Jesus had failed. The reality is the whole time, the whole time he was in total control. So, so let me ask us a question. If in a moment like that, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, the son of God, God with skin on is hanging on the cross. I mean, that's, we might not be able to wrap our minds or our hearts around this, but that is way worse than 2020. 
okay? That would be a more colossal failure if it looked like God was out of control in that moment. Don't you think he has this moment that we're in? Don't you think he is still in control? Friends, we can trust him. What what this angel is saying to Joseph is, don't be afraid. God's in control. He is good, even though it doesn't look good, even though this wasn't the way you planned for your year to go, Joseph, even though this is your 2020. God's got this. He's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to save you from your sins. He's not done yet. He's not done. We call this season Advent. Again, Advent means awaiting or an arrival. And traditionally, the way the church thinks of Advent is we're, we're adventing towards Christmas. And, and that's what we do. We advent towards the birth of Jesus. But there is a reality that we are actually in the second Advent. That, that yes, there's this beautiful reality over here that we know as the incarnation, the coming of Christ. But there is this arrival, this awaiting that we have been in for some time that the church is adventing, waiting for Jesus to come again. We are waiting for the second coming or the second arrival, a day when Jesus will come and restore all things to the way they once were. If you have a Bible, go right to the very end, like the last page. I think it's the second last page in my Bible, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, we get this picture of what it is going to be like when Jesus comes back. And listen to what John, the apostle John writes for us. He says, then the angel showered, uh, sorry, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Doesn't that sound good, right? He's painting a picture for us of abundance. There's not scarcity. There's no need. There's healing. There's hope. Then look at what it says in verse three, no longer will there be any curse, right? You could, I don't know what the Greek for curse is off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm thinking you could probably put COVID in there. The throne of God and the lamb, will be in the city and his servants will serve them. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night. In other words, darkness, picture of evil, picture of a lack of the presence of God. And they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. John paints a picture for us of what is to come. And the picture he paints for us is one where God restores all the brokenness. If you remember from last week, we said the nation of Israel had been waiting for 400 years. There was 400 years of silence. And the birth of Christ represents him speaking into the darkness. Well, the church has been waiting for 2,000 years. You and I, we've been adventing for 2,000 years. 
for the day when Jesus would come. He would speak into the darkness where the silence would be broken. Where he would make everything sad come untrue. You see, the call of this season for us is to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's, it's easy in a moment like this, take our eyes off Jesus, right? I mean, there's everything is vying for our attention and our time, right? It's easy to look at virus numbers. It's easy to look at government restrictions. It's, e- it's easy to hold out hope for a vaccination. Like I've already said, it's easy to look at the stock market. The angel is saying, don't, don't be afraid, Joseph. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus is going to save your people from your sins. I'm telling you, church, you don't have to be afraid. Smart, yes. Wear a mask, sure. Social distance, absolutely. Don't get the virus, I get it. We're worried, I I understand. But you don't have to be afraid. Take your eyes, lift them up, lift them up. Look up. Who's there? It's Jesus. Look at what he says. Look at, how, look at how the book of Revelation ends. Revelation chapter uh, 22, verse 20. The second last verse in the Bible. He who testifies to these things, that's Jesus, says, yes, I'm coming soon. It's coming soon. I don't know when soon is. But I have confidence in this word. Because Jesus said it, he is coming soon. And then the response, amen, come, Lord Jesus, come. Friends, lift your eyes and look at Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. And then Matthew goes on just to tell us why all of this is happening. Look at what he says next in verse 22. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. In other words, what the angel is saying is that this has always been God's plan. His plan has always been that he would enter in. His plan is always that he would take on flesh. His plan has always been that he would rescue and redeem the brokenness in the world. His, his plan has always been that he would come and be with us to save us. Uh, as one author writes in the, the message translation of a similar verse in John chapter one, he says, God actually moves into the neighborhood. He, he doesn't just wait for us up in heaven, but he actually comes down and enters in. And I, I would say to, to us in this season, this is one of the most hope-filled things any of us can hold on to, but also one of the most hope-filled things that any of us could ever tell anyone like right now in the moment that we find ourselves in. Because right now it feels like we're stuck in the middle, doesn't it? On one hand, we have you know the birth of Jesus. On the other hand, we have the second coming of Jesus. And here we are stuck right in the middle. This is what theologians would actually call the already but not yet of the kingdom. And that's where we find ourselves, the already but not yet. Already in that we know how the story is going to end, but not yet in that it has not come. I mean, we know how this is going to end, right? Jesus wins. But we haven't fully realized his winning yet. But look at what Matthew says right here. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, In other words, church, we are not alone. In other words, God is not up in heaven looking down at us, leaving us all to ourselves. In other words, we're not just stuck here in between waiting for Jesus to come back. He's actually with us right now. Jesus promises when he leaves that he, one would come after him, the Holy Spirit, who he would send. Uh, the image that, that Matthew's kind of pulling from here is, is one from the Old Testament where the people of God had what was called the tabernacle, which was like a functional temple where the presence of God actually dwelt. And they would actually move it around. As they would move, the tabernacle would move with them and the presence of God dwelt with them. And what, what Matthew's trying to do here is give us a picture of this reality that God has not left us on our own. We are not all by ourselves, but he is with us. He's come with us. His presence dwells among us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what the job of the church is right now? Apostle Paul actually says, of us, we are the living temple. That just as Jesus didn't, you know, he he didn't save us by proxy. We aren't the presence of God by proxy. But we are called to enter in. We are called to be a picture to the world of the goodness and grace of God. We are called to be a picture of a better story, that there's a God who saves, there's a God who loves, there's a God who knows, and there is a God who will come again. And we do not have to put all of our hope in this moment that we find ourselves in. And I I realize we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And so while that might've looked like having people over for dinner, it doesn't right now. It might look like texting. It might look like calling. It might look like writing cards. It might look like getting on Zoom. Yeah, I got Zoom fatigue. Well, go on Zoom for Jesus. Do it for Jesus. He went on Zoom for you. He came from heaven to earth for you. He Zoomed from heaven to earth. Hey, there you go. My kids aren't going to laugh at that. They're going to think I'm a dork. But the reality is this is our moment, church. Christmas is our moment to tell the world a better story. I mean... Just thinking of our own community group right now, well, we have a family in our community group who have a set of neighbors who, who had some needs. It's really simple. They just had a baby. They're getting ready to move. They needed some help. They reached out to us and literally random strangers were dropping off COVID-friendly meals to their house. They kept asking, why are these random people dropping meals off to our house? The answer is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus loves you. He loves you right now. He loves you. They're willing to take a risk for the sake of Jesus and his glory. And I love how this ends. Look at how it ends. Verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. In other words, what does Joseph do? Exactly what the angel said. He's changed. He's transformed. He's not had an encounter with Jesus. He's radically different. For us, there's a great opportunity in front of us to roll up our sleeves, to get to work, to obey Jesus, 
to be good news, to tell the world there's a better story. There is a better story. And friends, they are desperate to hear it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that uh, you did come in the flesh. You didn't, you didn't Zoom call us. You actually showed up, moved into the neighborhood, meet us in our deepest place of need. May we be changed and transformed by that. And may our lives reflect that. May we tell the world in how we live, but also in what we say, that they're, they don't have to be afraid. They don't need to be worried. They don't need to shame each other on social media. They don't, like, it's all that. It's just noise. It's just noise. It's just noise. Help us to love people, be gracious to people, and point them to you. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you.